happy fucking Easter if you're listening on Easter. And welcome back to This Is Hardcore Podcast. A couple days late, I know. I tried this shit. Thursday night, we had a podcast that we're recording. It was in the works for a little bit regarding the new terror record. It's going to be a shared effort between Post-America Podcast, 185 miles south podcast with Zach Nelson, and your favorite hardcore podcast, This Is Hardcore Podcast, featuring Scott Vogel and the three of us podcasters. We kind of go round table and talk about the new record, stuff involving terror, and it was a really cool thing to do, but for me, it was hard to pull off the time to do a This Is Hardcore podcast episode as well because I've been on long days at this new project that I do every year in Limerick, Pennsylvania. And I think my computer likes to update itself on Thursday and take hours to do because it's not super fancy. And so I had to tap out because I go back to work. The podcast episode that I did record was like 62 minutes in besides the track and uh it didn't come out so i had to re-record all this that you're listening to right now the track you heard is powerhouse we've played this now two times but this is the first time you're hearing the finished mastered edition they have an ep called renegades it's a split release between pitchfork music and upstate and you can pre-order it now They're going to be doing a weekend of shows in New Jersey and Rhode Island. They're playing the Phoenixville show of Desolated. We had a Philly show. We've had some problems with some of these smaller venues and pulling out. We try to get a powerhouse show just in the city, but these fucking small venues are killing us. So we're throwing them on the Desolated show, which is in two weeks. And there should be a good time. Make sure you support powerhouse. Got big plans for these guys, and this ain't going to be the only time you're going to see them, but... uh, Come out and support them. Powerhouse from Oakland, California. We did a great episode with Chris Powerhouse. And um, probably one of my favorite bands. Some of my longest friends. Just coolest dudes. And the new version fucking kills. Mm, So check that out. Lots of shows. And um, last weekend was phenomenal. Zababa show was out of control. And then the Gridiron Show was just the next level. The biggest show I think the Polish club's ever seen. So many people came from out of town. The bands all did well. Gridiron set a new standard. And I think for years to come, people are going to be talking about the Gridiron. And it's the new bar. You want to be a band and do your own record release. That's how you do it. You know, you pull the bands together. You work with your local promoter. You take responsibility and ownership, and you run the show. That's the way it should be. I give my hats off to Matt, Carl, and the boys for pulling off a fucking fantastic display of ignorance. And kudos to all the kids who traveled super far to to literally Phoenixville, Pennsylvania for the show. And uh, lots of cool shit are going to come to that room. Lots of great shows are coming in the Philadelphia area. And the best thing you can do is to support Quick birthday shout out to one son of a bitch, 
my my brother, probably one of my favorite people on this planet, Joe McHenry. For those of you who didn't listen to his episode, you're sleeping. Get on that shit. The Joe McHenry episode might go down as probably my favorite. This is hardcore podcast episode at times, just because not as one of my my closest friends, but there's just something badass about a kid from Philadelphia getting so much love from hardcore. Uh, you can check him out at episode 58. <laughs> it's um so much cool shit to be said about Joe McHenry. Cracks me up. And uh, it's his birthday today. So I love you, Joe. Sorry the podcast did not come out. JoJo is one of the guys who this podcast comes out super early in the morning so the working class fellas like myself can get a jump on our day and listen to podcasts. I know every time a new podcast comes out, and I'm on a work shift. I'm so excited to listen to it. It gives me something to do. It gives me something to focus on. I hate when a fucking thing happens. And um, so all I can do is apologize. And that's what I've done here. I'm sorry that it didn't come out today. Nothing major is going to go on this podcast because of the fact that we could not get, I could not get, I always say we, like there's like 17 people working on this podcast, but it's really me. I couldn't factor in time. Between my daily schedule, the time I've been putting in the shows, the few opportunities in the last couple of weeks I've had to try to get the jiu-jitsu, and then to work on the stupid festival that's due out. So we did not have a guest, and I had thoughts on what to talk about. I got detracted just by other shit going on. Losing 62 minutes is never fun. I used to think about, like, fuck, man, like, I don't even want to put one out, but I'm not going that route. When I when I had a thought to, of, like, a long-term thing to speak on, it happens a lot, and then I give it more time and more time and more time. I think I can expound on it a little bit further now. Um, for me... When people bring up this is hardcore, and we had a thread on Twitter that kind of instigated specifically a thought where it's like there's been fests where we've had some bands play. Absolutely mind-blowing. The reactions that they got, and then there's people who would have assumed based upon the band playing the fest just how many people, I, I won't say didn't enjoy the bill, or whatever, but there's definitely years where we've had a lineup where I think people slept on shit. You know, um, 2007 comes to mind. Uh, I always say the same thing. The first year was 2006, and we asked Have Heart. Well, Have Heart asked us for a Philly show on the Monday, and we asked them to play the fest, and they uh, we're like, now we're playing Baltimore already. Uh, we'll just play Monday. So. In lieu of Have Heart and Verse and Ambitions playing the first This Is Hardcore, they played a Monday night at the church to 50 people. And three years later when they broke up, people would be upset that this they, you know, they didn't get to see this band, yada, yada, yada. But I always say about hardcore, when a band is playing, a lot of people wait until other people talk about them before they'll actually put time into them. And... That was definitely the case at Have Heart. And then we've talked about it before. You know, the reunion show was pop punk people who listened to them via Spotify and not the hardcore people who were too cool to watch them in 2006 and 7 and 
band's been around for a while before the fucking people realized the truth of that band. They were sick then. And kudos to them for having a crazy big fucking insane reaction to their reunions they did. But a lot of stuff we did early on, I think, kind of went over some people's heads. You know, got lucky that Cold World and Blacklisted were mainstays. I really got lucky that we had Iron Age play often. But in 2007, man, we had some bands. I mean, Reading Supreme was just starting off. They were like the opening band the day they played. Uh, we had Blood Clot, which before John had switched up the lineup to Joey Castillo and all this, he had Danny Schuler from Biohazard, Rick Lopez from Marauder. He had Scott, who's now in the take, who would later be the front person and bass player for Biohazard, but he also played in the Spud Monsters and Helmet before that. It was a heavier version. And uh, when he redid the name Blood Clot Band, he had Joey Castillo, Todd Youth, R.I.P., and it was a different sound. And then actually at the Thompson Square Park show in 2021, he did some songs from the heavier Blood Clot, and I was blown away. So, But Blood Clot played it. This is hardcore. was pretty cool. Um, All Out War played. And I always remember, you know, I've been booking All Out War now since 1998 in Philadelphia. And I just always remember some of the All Out War shows in Philly being one of the craziest. But... It's the first time we did all at war and there were people like not going out of their fucking minds. And then three years later, everyone was like, dude, you have to get all at war to play. And it's like, yeah, we did it three years ago. Where the fuck were you? And um, stuff like Rising, uh, Rise and Fall from Europe was playing at the time. We had Agnostic Front who were on a tour for the new version of a record that was called Another Voice that was like help written by Jamie Hapri, but they did a lot of one voice songs and people slept on that. Early on, the fest was slept on, I think, and it took a while to kind of build the name up. I mean, Eric Ozean, who was in Redemption 87, was in the Nerve Agents. His band Said Radio played that year. Um, There's a lot of bands, you know, Steel Nation, I love Know the Score. I mean, Pulling Teeth was the year before when Dom asked me to do Pulling Teeth. I put them in ceremony really low on the bill on the fucking Sunday. And they fucking blew it up. I was like, oh shit. Um, Just like, I, I say all this to explain like, it's hard for me to read some of the, or it's not hard for me. It's frustrating at times to see lineups that we've put together and the shows were fantastic, but you know, it's like the, I always say the same deal. The people in the room who see any show are the people that made the time and effort and spent the money to be there. So when this hindsight shit comes in and everyone starts talking about different lineups and whatever, I'm always frustrated because it's like they're, they're, they're blowing up something that they don't realize. Like there are people that slept on lineups for a while. In fact, we talked about this hardcore 2008, probably one of the funniest and I say funny in my way of like, because I'm a dickhead and wanted to do something different. The last three bands of the Friday night of 2008 was Madball, 100 Demons, and Painted Black. It's like no one else, no one else does that shit. And I have no problem saying it. No one else puts a bill like that together in hardcore fests. And it was fucking fantastic. You know, it was Absolutely fucking fantastic. And I think about this stuff. There are people who just like legitimately 
they see the lineup, right? They see the lineup, but they don't really get it. Like, yeah, man, there was tons of folks who can say, oh, this is fucking crazy. But were they there? And what's uh, more interesting than anything is the 2008 lineup, they did a bunch of videos, which would eventually be on a DVD that my friend John from Wiley from Eulogy would go ahead and he would put on a DVD. And in my Googling searches, this DVD, I don't even know if it sold well, now it's completely out of stock. <laughs> it's like out of stock. It's sold out. You can't get it. And it's a rare thing. And you're like, wait, what? What? <laughs> like, it went from people not buying it to the, those who have it have something that's rare. Pretty To me, pretty interesting. And um, I, I say this to you because as I'm in... As I'm shifting away from running a nuke plant job where I am the general foreman of the crew of Cement Masons, which is a union I'm involved in, and we have to complete tasks every day and we're working long hours, and it doesn't become redundant, but it's where my focus has to be at, I, uh, I've, especially in the last, I want to say the last seven years, I've had a balance being on this job site with also putting this lineup together. When I see chatter about old lineups and people fantasizing and all this shit, I'm not mad. I won't say I'm mad, but it's like, man, you know, uh, there was a whole thing. <laughs> you know, there's a whole thing about that. Um, we were going to do, we had 108. They were going to be on the bill. They didn't even play that year. I was going to have Shadow Rome play. And then there was a moment where they were they went to Europe with Chris to do a um they did a fest without me. And at the time I was like, Look, man, I was looking at a lot of court time. You know, I had to focus on my real life. So they did one fest. I don't even know if they did it, but I know at the time I think they were talking about doing it, or they maybe they did do it. And then um Steel Nation then up dropping off, and then um, it was pretty interesting to see some of the the, the lineup changes. But I I I, I explain this to you is because again I'm always mind blown when I see kids like oh that must have been so fucking crazy and it's like was it though? Um, I made the attempt to find the this is hardcore MySpace and get this, <laughs> and it just didn't work. Uh, and I know that sounds funny, but to me, I was like, yo, you have fun. How cool would it be if we ended up with the, um, how cool would it be end up if we're, we're just promoting the fest like the first couple years where we have a MySpace page. So anybody who's, uh, smart enough to figure out how do we get our, how do we get our, this is hardcore fucking MySpace page back. Let me know. Um, this whole thing that I do with the fest is support related, just like everybody else's. And I'm not sitting here being like, if you weren't there when I needed you, brother, fuck you. But it's like, yo, but also, like, don't come. I, I, I am so happy that people are like, I can't wait for this fast. I've been waiting. I've been waiting. But, you know, there is a part of me, and I've said it before, where we kind of became the bus 
Ah, well, there's always going to be a fast. There's always going to be a fast. There's never not going to be a fast. And it's like this hardcore fast only exists because people play it. And they play it because if people come. The fest is known for people coming, the shows being good, and the bands playing well. Has only me in the middle to coordinate between those kind of things. If that makes sense. Um, And yet I felt towards the last two or three as if we specifically were... Like, ah, oh, no matter what. Like, I've heard people like, oh, well, you know, you'll have something cool next year, too. And it's a little, fr- I will say, it's a little, it is a little frustrating at times because of the fact that, you know, when we put everything into something, we still need the support of the team. That's where I'm getting at. Now, I know the fucking lineup that I got coming out. And <laughs> if you don't go to this one, Woo, you're going to miss out, and that's going to be on you. So, but yeah, we I had some wild bands, man. I had some wild, different lineups, different shit that happens. And uh, in fact, one year, and that was the year actually, I think it was, we're talking about this dead guy situation where we had Crazy Eddie, which was going to be Tim Singer doing dead guy songs with Pat and the guys of All Else Failed. And that was just, uh, you know, cool. And then I got called basically, hey, we're not going to be able to do this. I was like, what do you mean? Uh, Well, he doesn't want to play last. But when they asked us to play, they could only play a certain time, which meant they had to play last. (laughs) So it's like, oh, you don't want to play last, but that's the only day time you can play. So instead of saying, hey, we're not going to do it, Tim Singer made this goofball announcement to Lamgoat, and that's how I found out they weren't going to play, which is kind of whack. So then when people was like, oh, dead guys, come back, you excited? I'm like, nah, man, not really excited, could care less. And we made it work. Um, believe it or not, Terror has played in 2006. They headlined the Sunday on 2008, which is why they ended up on that DVD. Um, We've had some cool ass lineups for 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 sure, but it's in the random bands. Like we had like it or not, which is like the Martine band with the nineteen seventeen guys. They played one time ever the very first year. We've only done Bitter End like two or three times. We've done Meltdown once. Uh, we did No Score a couple years in a row for a while. Um, attitude, I, I like. There's always just random bands that I always look at when I'm like looking at who to put on a fest, and I scroll through this old list. You now I through, I, I scroll through, and I'm like, "Fuck, man, we did some cool shit. We didn't get jo- we didn't get Hatebreed one year, but we got Josta, which is like Jamie doing Hatebreed songs, Ice Pick songs, Kingdom of Sorrow, which was his project with the Crowbar, but we didn't get Hatebreed." It's like, you know, um, this fest is random sometimes when we do something. Still one of the coolest New York bands. Death Cycle I did. I thought that was fucking great. I've only had Comeback Kid and Fahrenheit 451 once. Yet I've had like a maximum penalty that's played a bunch of times. Only say anything, never. I only had Alpha Omega one time. I've only had War Hungry twice. Um, 
I don't care what anybody says. Vision from New Jersey. You know, Dave Franklin passing was fucking hard. I'm so glad that we had them on that 2008. This is hardcore. And then we also had them on the first year of the big fest at the Electric Factory. And they were so worried about playing later. And there was a giant fucking rainstorm during what was like the first dinner break. So everybody had to go in the building. And they all had to watch Vision because it got rained out. And so Vision had this packed house. And that night was crazy anyway because it was like lifetime headlining. It was actually, no, I think it was Gorilla Biscuits Lifetime headlining that Saturday. (laughs) It's like, so they were like in the old guard after the dinner break lineup. It was fucking fantastic. But, um, yeah, man, 2007 was a weird year. You know, we did have heart, and it was all right. But then it it took until the last time they played the fast forward before they broke up in 2009. You had a kid doing a gainer, this crazy flip. That literally almost hit us. It just scared the fuck out of me. And the only time I've ever seen it um, was the beginning. 2007 was the beginning of Reign Supreme playing like every year. There's so many cool random bands that we've had on the fest. I feel like people missed it. People missed it, you know. Um, like I said, we had that Madball 100 Demons thing was fucking wild. And then... um. We've had this these I've had I feel like I've been lucky. I've been lucky that I'm able to put some of these bands together. Um Martine, who's involved in stronger bookings in Europe now, his very uh, celebrated band from Europe, No Turning Back played. They were one of the first of the the first crop of bands from Europe, them Rise and Fall. One of the first couple bands that ever played this hardcore from Europe and I felt so happy to be able to have a European band on the bill because of how much Europe does for hardcore. And then, um, fucks me up now to think about it. In 2009, Title Fight was the first band that played the first in the Friday. Like, they were coming out. And now, I could offer them $500,000 and they probably would turn it down, even though I don't have $500,000 to pay a band. And the same year, Bad Seed played, and that's the only time they've ever played. Um, also on that 2009 was the first year that floor, um, the first year that VOD had headlined and the only time they played, um, fucks me up, man. Fucks me up to think, oh yeah, killer also played. Also, that was the beginning of both rival mob and mindset playing almost every year of the fest was 2009. And another weird one was it took us until 2009 to have Bane play. It's never really worked out. And then they played every year up until the year they decided to break up. And their sets got crazier and crazier and crazier. And because we had Bane, I was able to bully Ian Larrabee into doing a Reach the Sky set, which they ended up doing three times. Foundation, that was the year that Foundation blew up under um, United Blood. So United Blood was like, holy fuck, I gotta get, I saw them at United Blood, I'm like, fuck, I gotta get this Foundation band, and they fucking killed it, and they played, I think Foundation played three three times, maybe, yeah, yeah, they played about, no, you know what, they played more, they probably played like five times, four or five times, Foundation played, and they became like a band that people, you know, like, all things, start becoming a band that people really love, that random band, The Carrier, that Sonny put on the video for throwing up on my stage, my boys and naysayer, um, just cool shit. 
And it was in 2010 that I actually started getting like these weird headliners. Like, I mean, 2009 was the first year we sold out. Sheer Terror, getting Sheer Terror was random. Um, RIP to Vinny Value. Vinny had hit me up and told me that uh, Sheer Terror was practicing. And to give them a call because they were going to go to Europe or Japan rather. And I only did that because Burn, I was bullying Chaka and Gavin to try to get them to do a reunion in 2010. And uh, those guys couldn't link it up. And then I was like, fuck, I don't know what to do. And it was like a Hail Mary. And I threw the Hail Mary and I got sheer terror. And it ended up being like their first show since they broke up in 2000. Oh, yeah, in two, no, 90s. Their first show since like 1997 or 1998. Well, I think they broke up in March of 98. I don't remember, but it was their first show back. It was in this hardcore. And then, um, you know, it was a weird time. We got the Cro-Mags because I did that December beforehand. I did the Cro-Mags first show as John Mackey, Craig, and AJ at the Broad Street Ministry Church on Broad, in Philly. And then they would do the Massachusetts venue. And then they would play do the Knitting Factory. And that was like the first three shows back. And that show was crazy as fuck. And that had Bad Seed and fucking Wisdom and Chains and Death Threat. It was a wild show, the Cro-Mag show. But then we had like, the only time I did Starkweather, the only time I've done Bulldoze, um, Clubber Lang, the year before in 2008, we had um, Colbrell play, and John Cooper got up with Dave Sausage and them, and they did like a, a random two, three songs of Clubber Lang, and then Clubber Lang would do their own set the following year. And that's the only time I've done Dysphoria. Um, and then some like random bands, like the L.A. band Creatures, that everyone's like, dude, this is going to blow up. Zababa's first time they played the East Coast ever was 2010. That was excellent. Um First time we had that band expire. Um, and the big headliners for that night, for that year, was obviously Sheer Terror Friday, Cro-Mags and Bulldoze and Trapped Under Ice on the Saturday. And then the Sunday was the guys in Crud as a Colt, their son Max, was going through some health issues and the family needed to raise money. So we had Ink and Dagger and Kid Dynamite and Blacklisted, the three bands of their time for Philly Hardcore, close out the set. And it, um, Jeff Rickley, who sings for Thursday, longtime hardcore dude, grew up going to church shows, and obviously Thursday taking it from the band Turning Point, in, uh, you know, intrinsically was familiar with the band, saw them, and was the perfect fit to do those Inga Dagger shows. And it's like, here I am, a kid who grew up, you know, I was a kid when the Inga Dagger stuff was coming up. And there were some of my favorite first all Philly hardcore shows. Here we are doing their only reunion. It was fucking fantastic. Kid Dynamite, a band that I bought the demo tape with Paul Butterly on South Street. Seen him a bunch of times, style out of the church, etc., etc. So cool to have them guys come and play. Um, it was also the first year of Nails and so much cool shit, you know, um these things that just get put together I'm lucky and this is like where I guess I'm kind of it's like a common thread of I feel lucky I feel like 
sometimes they say like you're put in the proper position if you're aware of it to receive these kind of things like to be able, for me it's been able to constantly think about this fast and push and take note of who do I have who haven't I had who what would be cool what we already done already and so like in 2011 which ended up being the last year of the Starlight Ballroom the headliner was Youth of Today it wasn't the the big lineup that we did in 2016 but it was the first time we had Youth of Today it was fucking crazy and that show was like Youth of Today token entry was Youth of Today H2O token entry and title fight before that and that was like the last four bands on the Friday the only time we booked Mouthpiece on that bill the only time Strife uh, until 2016 that was the first time Strife ever played this hardcore the only time Damnations AD ever played uh, played Resurrection had a new had the um, discography that was like the old band Rob and everybody from New Jersey and that was the only time they played this hardcore. District 9 killed it that year. Stout, the only year Stout played. The first year uh, Suburban Scum would get up there and play. And that was the, in 2011. the first time we had Killing Time. Anthony gets on the stage and he goes. He starts playing. They played a new song from a new record. And people weren't feeling it. He turned into a band and goes, only the hits. And that was it. And then that weekend ended. That weekend ended. 2011. Ended with the, the craziest back and forth I could think of, which was like From Ashes Rise, which probably one of the coolest American DB, whatever you want to call that style, bands into Madball. Like who who the fuck does Madball into From Ashes Rise but this hardcore? Also we had like Morning Again played it and this is the this the earlier that day I had all else failed and it was fucking raining on that Sunday, the last Sunday of the last day that we had Starlight Ballroom. And I just put all Sprout on a band from Philly I grew up loving. Thought it'd be cool as fuck. And boom. Ended up being like the thing that bounced these guys to, you know, have a resurgence. Which is a fucking honor from band that we grew up going to see. There's no woe is me. Like, oh, I have to get this together. Oh, this is going to be so hard. No, it's not hard. The reason why it's not hard is because... By now, this is something that I've done enough years where this should be second nature. And that's how I feel. And I have my own ideas and I have my own aesthetic principles and my own, this is what I think works best. And I'm definitely not always right. But I also know that time and time again, I've done stuff and numerically it's been supported or it's not been supported. Maybe I thought more people would come than would. But people always go back after and go, holy fuck, that's so crazy this happened. And if nothing else, if by the lens of hindsight, people look at what we've done and say, this is fantastic, then I'm happy. But I also was there and the people that were at the show made it fantastic. The bands that played, the people that played, um, the kids that traveled. The first venue was a motherfucker. It was skinny, long, you know, it wasn't wide, like. And um, it was inhospitable hot in August of the Philadelphia, usually. And it was twice so into the venue. Not a lot of room, no outside. Kids would lay with their backs against this brick wall with their ass on hot concrete. Miserable. Food was sparingly outside. So then a lot of the things that we did when we moved the fest as we started selling out 
was to accommodate people to do more than just literally sit on the hot concrete of Philadelphia and fucking burn. And that's what I'm working on now. I'm working on what bands bring the best of what's going on now with the best bands that could be featured with other bands that I've got on the bill. I go back to my archive and go, what bands would sound great with this band? What would bring this? What crowd would mesh well with this crowd? How do we get many people to come in here as we can? I'm not going to get it all right, people. There's going to be people that say, you didn't book enough of this. Why did you ignore this band? And this is, you know, they're so important right now for this. And it's like, dude, there's only so much time. This year, the factory is only on Saturday and Sunday. That Friday night is going to be at the Underground Arts. There's a limited amount of three-day passes. And that's kind of better because I think towards the end, it was getting harder for people to come to all three days. And then it was getting easier to just make the Saturday and Sunday. I got a lot of people pressing me for two-day passes. So we're going to do the three-day pass and then the weekend pass. And I don't know how we're going to work that out. Um, But, you know, looking at what we used to charge, looking at what we're charging... It's a couple bucks more, but it's nothing like, oh my God, I can't believe you guys because it's bang for your buck. We're going to have some great after shows. The running is going to go that way, though. Friday night will be Underground Arts. Most of the people that get to go to the Underground Arts show will be three-day ticket holders. There will be about 100 and so tickets for the people that want to go just that day. The Saturday and Sunday are the main days, obviously, of the fest, as always. And we're going to make sure that there's after parties to go to on those nights and we're going to make sure there's food and shit outside so that way you don't have to sit on the hot sidewalk with barely any nourishment just dying off or as these kids used to go four or five blocks away and drink in this parking lot and get fucking sun poisoning and alcohol poisoning and the fucking crazy family that owned the venues would come yelling at me and threatening me unless we give them more money this whole fucking venues was chaos but I loved it and I miss that era because it, there was a there was a naivete on my end. I wasn't thinking bigger picture. The budgets were smaller because the room was smaller. Hardcore fests at that time in that late 2006 into 2010, in the death of Hellfest, the the disappearance of um, Crazy Fest, and the long absence of the now returned Furnace Fest left the bar pretty low as far as what hardcore fests were then. And we were lucky to be at, at towards the top end of what fests were, even for a crazy venue, even for a less than, you know, perfect venue. But it was in 2012, obviously, that all that changed. And the modern idea of this is hardcore is now 10 years old. And most people going to shows in the current times, most of them never was at the Starlight Ballroom. So they don't know. And so their ideas of this is hardcore is either what they heard, the few that went to the ones three years ago, as we have so many new young kids. And I'm really excited for all these new people coming to the shows now. And um, yeah, I just, I wanted to talk about, you know, there's been some times where I've read on the internet some stuff where it's like, you know, we did Kill Switch Engage and they sell out the Electric Factory. We do them with this is hardcore, and the set was cool, and the bill was absolutely probably one of the best bills I've ever put on for a show. And I, if I'm being honest, it has nothing to do with this is hardcore, or it has nothing to do with 
Kill Switch Engage and has everything to do with This Is Hardcore, realizing that the venue promoted the fest as This Is Hardcore Fest and wasn't really promoting the fest as um, like individual bands, so to speak, if that makes any sense. Which I know is weird, but that's what we ran into. And we had to like, think about that. Like, oh, shit. Like, here we are. It's fucking, no one had ever, it wasn't only in hindsight, like, hey, what, you know, kind of like going back, hey, what went wrong, yada, yada, yada. And you turn around, and you're like, oh, wait, the venue was just promoting it as this is hardcore without saying, like, by the way, kill switch engage, yada, yada, yada. And we missed out on a shit ton of people <laughs> who probably would have went if they knew what the fuck this is hardcore was or they knew what the lineup was. So, I saw people talk, this is what best year. It's like, yeah, we had Kill Switch Engage, Unearth, Crowbar, Overcast, Ringworm, Code Orange Kids, Zabalba, Noisem, Expire, Lifeless, and our friends Rock Bottom. And I mean, you know, let's go to Bottom Up, Rock Bottom's a band from here that killed it. Lifeless, they were coming up. Expire, you know what they were at that time. Noisem was coming up. Zababa was coming up. Code Orange was coming up. And what happened? <laughs> like, for a show that should have been easily sold out, it wasn't. Yet, my heart was just like full of happiness knowing that people looked at that venue and that lineup and was like, this is the coolest fucking lineup. You know, that made me happy. Um, that That really did make me happy. Especially, it's funny now seeing like the Code Orange kids. We're lucky that we were able to kind of put some of these bills together. I mean, it's the only time we had Stigmata. Now with the return of Fury of Five in New Jersey, this was the Fury of Five set, the first time he was doing Fury of Five. The only time Turmoil had played This Is Hardcore. Um, it was a wild night. I mean, the whole show was wild. And, I mean, it was the only time Converge ever played. The explosion uh, from Boston, who we had, you know, Philly loved that band. And yet, you know, like, uh, we were supposed to have Blast. Blast ended up not buying their plane tickets and all this goofy shit happened. So we just brought Agnostic Front out. And the show ended up being like Converge, Agnostic Front, Slapshot, Drop Dead, like all these, like, different mixes of bands. It was fucking cool as fuck. We had... um. Tragedy that night, I think. It was just cool. Like, literally, just like a cool, well-rounded bill. Um, in my opinion, it was a real fucking cool bill. Um, the the day after was the last time Title Fight played the fest. And that was the, the time they headlined. And then um, the, the closing out was Bad Luck 13, Mad Ball, E-Town Concrete, that night was wild, and it was raining out when, when Madball was playing, and then when we were breaking down tents in the rain, eventually at the, we've talked about this on the podcast, where the venue Voltage Lounge had a security guy that maced the entire crowd of the after show people power trip because a girl started attacking another girl. So the venue got completely covered in fucking pepper spray. And everybody was outside, just like the Starlight Ballroom on the concrete coffin. It was fucking miserable. And we were soaked from putting tents and tables away in the rain and ran over there and was like, oh, 
this is a perfect way this fucking show ends. And um, if I'm being more honest, and that was a year I tried to jump off the Ben Franklin Bridge because of the stress that the fest had brought me to. And um, going through a lot of therapy from that and a lot of ups and downs. And I'm not kidding. I really tried to climb the bridge and jump off. And this week was fucked up because I've never been bitter about a lineup. But I always was like, what the fuck did we do wrong to not have those rooms? Like that we, I thought that was a year like we were going to finally sell out like at least two of the four nights because what we had and I didn't do the right things or we didn't link up the right way. And so seeing people on Twitter talk about the fest, like this was the best year. I thought it was one of the most diverse lineups, the best commercial potential chance with the kind of size of bands that we had at the time. And um, it fucked me up for a bit, the the fest, and I kind of like had to recalibrate my life. And um, I only had one other like suicidal episode, and I called the one eight hundred number and went into really once twice a week sessions of therapy and started really going back and getting on the work to to, to change a lot of stuff in my head and um I I'm just saying this because that's what really needs to be said is that I thought people hated it and it put a weird mark on me and I was afraid to do things outside of the box or outside of like and try to encompass more. I've never wanted. To, I never want to be a fucking festival where there's like twenty thousand people or more, like the Coachella shit and stages. And yeah, we're sitting back and we're sipping on yak and we're partying. And me and Mike got fucking diamonds in our mouth. I don't want that. I just want a hardcore fest that's fucking cool. I've never tried to build the fest up to this giant thing that hardcore punk can't be a part of. But I thought within the parameters of what I was working on in two thousand and fourteen that we had a balance of a lot of people being there, people from different things, but also the mainstay hardcore people supporting it. And things were falling apart, and I was at a breaking point. The job I was on, I was traveling way too fucking far. The heat was absolutely unbearable. My personal relationships were fucked up. And I was sleeping two shifts of two-hour naps and not real sleep. And I was just all over the place and stretched the furthest limits of what I could bear and it just broke and I was lucky that I had people behind me to support me people that picked me up and dust me off and the following year this is hardcore fest 2015 was one of the most successful we ever had and I felt redeemed I truly felt redeemed felt like okay that was we know where we're at we know what we're doing we know what we gotta do and so to the people who had a great time in 2014 and talked about on the internet you threw me a curve a minute and I had to sit on it for a bit. But in talking this out, I appreciate you because I put a lot into that year. I just was, I wasn't on a flat feet or I wasn't on two feet rather than flat feet. And I wasn't at my best. And there's things I missed that I don't think I would miss now. And I also think sometimes in these kind of things that go on for so long, you're going to do something and not see, you know, if you stick to the standard operating procedures, you're going to fail. Every year you're going to attempt to do something in a way that's similar to what you've done that's worked, but understand that every year is its own animals and there's different factors that you have to take into consideration. And 
I was very lucky to have Brian Dilworth and Tim Bohr and the people behind me, Sean Agnew, Bob Wilson, um, the blacklisted guys, the title fight guys, Todd Jones. You know, there's so many real life friends that were that got wind of the chaos in my brain and fucking stood with me, and it was fucking beautiful. Greg Daly, you know, um, Jess Parr. There's a lot of people that were there and knew and figured it out and helped me through. And in seeing that, it's been like like ringing back and forth in my fucking head. So on this Easter Sunday, I just wanted to say thank you to the people that unwillingly supported the fest at a bad year for me and caused an actual like emotional and mental breakdown. But... I think that was like the tipping. Like I was already at the fucking precipice of a fall, at the precipice of a breaking point, and it was the breaking point that needed me to see where I had to start getting help and work and and thinking about the way that mental health is structured and talked about in today's society. It's like thrown around. Is self-diagnoses, um, therapy. And anxiety is seen as like nonchalantly talked about and almost trivialized or categorically becoming an accessory. And as I said with the pandemic, losing Steve Patashio and as a young kid and all these other people that passed from taking their own lives, the world is cold when people get locked in the thoughts and they don't see the world around them and they don't see the people that are there for them, the people that don't know that they're falling so they can't put their arms out to catch you. And I think that I did enough time in all the different uh, spectrums of chaos in my life. But that was a hard point and I had to, you know, get rid of my ego and admit that I was fucked up and admit that I needed help. And, you know, I had to go get that help. And, um, I think at different times, people need to hear stories like this. People need to know that behind the wins and the the losses and the things that you might see that I've done is a person who was ready to jump off a fucking bridge over frustrations in life, frustrations in love, frustrations with a fest, a lack of, uh, a lack of, not humility, but lack of self-awareness to realize that I was on my way to a fall and it it almost kept me from ever being able to say these words to people and so if you're in these kind of weird worlds you're in this transitional period there are people that will stick their hands out there's people that you can talk to there's even people um my brother G is really good with saying like hey reach out just reach out and talk and G's a guy who gets to reach out and talk to Richie's another guy you know, the my brothers in the rule of three, they haven't talked me off ledges recently, but they talked me down. You know, it's good that you have people like that. And I think if you don't feel like you have that, reach out to somebody who's telling you, hey, I'm down to listen, because maybe that person can help. And this hardcore means the world to me. This has been the most cyclical, or what do they say with the term, like annual thing for me lately has been going on these new projects, trying to work on the fest, rush a lineup. I think like two years in a row, maybe three, we've had announcements on Easter Monday, and we're not going to have it. It'll probably be in like a week or two. 
barring some ups and downs and some artworks and things. But the fest is going to get announced. It's going to get on sale. We've got some cool shows. I'm lucky for the friends I have on this Easter. I'm lucky for the family that I have. First time in a long time, I'm going to go see my mother on Easter. I'm going to have a little food and catch up. Crazy woman is going to be 60 next year. Even that fucks me up. But I appreciate the people that appreciate the work I've done. Reading that kids whose bands I now support were at their first This Is Hardcores or thought that was one of the best This Is Hardcores cheered me up because I've always thought that I did something really wrong in 2014. And there's times when I look at the first years and I go, fuck, with the experience I have in my head now, I look at some of them bills and I go, I can't change it, but I know that I was doing something. I just don't know that the rest of the world saw what I was doing. And so it was invalidating, though challenging at first when I saw that people were excited on 2014. I didn't know how to explain those emotional challenges, so I, I figured I'd talk it out here. Thanks for always supporting This Is Hardcore Fest. Thanks for always supporting the bands I've been in, the shows that I've put on. This is the 25th year of me doing shows. I will be putting on a show in Philly to celebrate 25 years. Richie, Chris, and I are doing a show. October 29th is the Keystone Holiday Jam, but it's the Halloween Jam. So be ready. Also, last night, got that tattoo. Those on the internet following me saw it. Mike Hooligan, who's been at that tattoo shop for over 20 years now, he bought it during the pandemic. Eric Perfect, who owns Cadillac Tattoos, has kind of condensed the Cadillac tattoo world down to Cadillac Mount Airy. I think maybe one other satellite spot. Mike bought Cadillac Deuce, and it's now known as Hard Times Tattoos, but the shop hasn't changed except for our good friends, Alex Bradley, AXBX, who's an apprentice promoter, is also apprenticing and doing piercings. Let her, tat- let her put her shit on you. She keeps trying to pierce me. I've never been pierced in my whole life. Our, her friend, Vey, is a fantastic up-and-coming tattooer from New Jersey. She's now tattooing there. Our friend, Julia, just got her cosmetic tattooing license, and she will be doing those girl eyebrow cosmetic tattoos there. It's hard times tattoos, but it's going to have some new shit, and uh, the boys are there. They're cranking out great tattoos. It's going to be an awesome summer of barbecuing there, hanging out. If you're coming through the Philly area, you want to hang out. You want to get a tattoo. You want to go eat. That's the place to go to. It's um, been a place I've been lucky to go to just to stop by and see my friends local. I used to drive all the way to New Jersey to hang out with Cracker. The older I get, the farther that drive feels. And I love my brother. and I don't ever think I don't miss him. But, um, and, you know, I've got tons of friends who own tattoo shops. My boy G. Rash, um, excellent, fantastic tattoo shop at Glenside Tattoos out in the Philly suburbs. Obviously, the, the standard old city tattoos. Hard Carl, Scott Smith, some of the best people. The lovely Shubway, Miss Mimi. These are great people at the tattoo shop there, owned by the one and only Jay Goldberg at Baylock 13. You know, there's tons of tattoo shops we're affiliated with, but I end up just going and hanging out at hard times, <laughs> tattoo the most. So I'm going to give some love, especially since me and Mike had a long talk about hard time tattoos, and they're going to be a sponsor of This Is Hardcore. I figured I'd talk it up just out of love and respect. Make sure you're following phillyhcshows.com. Check out 
rule of three. Gonna, gonna, and we're going to get a new episode recorded this week because uh, my schedule is better. We can link up better. Got some interviews coming up. This Saturday at the First Unitarian Church, Nancy Burrell will be talking about her book, which came out on Bazillion Points. It's called I'm Not Holding Your Coat. It's a memoir of her punk rock rebellion. And Nancy Burrell would go on to marry Al Burrell of SSD, but she was a Philly girl. And she found and she found hardcore. She was involved in the shows that Chuck Meehan and them were putting on in 1980. And this is a part of our legacy. And so it's cool that we're going to have her speak about her book. And you can go and meet her at the church Saturday, April 23rd. The Thompson Square Park show is also that day. So if you're not into book signings and hanging out, make sure you're at Thompson Square Park in the Lower East Side. You know, you got Madball, you got Wisdom and Chains, you got Murphy's Law, you got John Joseph them doing a one-off Chromax JM, which I was told Harley Flanagan sent a cease and desist letter to them, which shows you what Harley's up to still. Crazy asshole. And uh, the Capturers, it's very similar to last year's lineup. You can check that shit out. So many cool shows, but I'm kind of talked out, so I'm going to let that be. You know how to follow us. Stay tuned for the Cool Terror Podcast. We're getting ready to run that out. And um, just uh, thank you for supporting me. Thank you for getting me through the hardest times. Thanks for your support builds up legitimately. Your your support of what I do gives me some of my best times. And I appreciate that more than you'll ever know. I love you all. Thank you for listening. And if you are feeling the way I felt or you're not sure how you feel, the thing to do is reach out to somebody. Um, give yourself the opportunity to be saved. Don't just throw this whole thing away because life is too serious in some ways, but also too important for your people around you. And having lost people constantly to suicide, every time someone takes their life, it rips a hole in everybody around them. So don't do it. And... um our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ did not die on the cross, so you can go kill yourself over something. So reach out to your friends, know that you're loved, and there really isn't anything that we can't get you through. Thank you. <laughs>